cliffcentral.com. I'll tell you who's no amateur is constant friend on a Monday morning. It's going to be okay. Dr. Hanan Bushkin, who is a renowned psychologist, head of the Anxiety and Trauma Clinic in Johannesburg. How's it, Doc? How are you? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. How are you? Awesome. So um, let's just uh, get into this email from Steph, who, um, you know, we've asked people to send us um, more than just have you come on and tell us all about certain disorders or whatever, which is, I think, very interesting, and a lot of us want to know about that stuff. But it's often more interesting to hear someone else's uh, issue, and then you can obviously help us try and understand it and maybe give them the advice that they're looking for at the same time. If you would like to have some issue resolved, you can send us an email, contact at cliffcentral.com. We will pass it on to Dr. Hanan. So Steph sent us this email. She says, I'd appreciate it if Hanan could discuss making and maintaining adult friendships. As kids, we're put together with other kids at school, uh, and usually we manage to make friends quite easily, even if we don't have much in common. As adults, though, it's a different ball game. I'm fortunate to have some friends from school, university, previous jobs, etc., with whom I'm in regular contact. As I get older, though, I'm finding making friends and maintaining friendships increasingly more difficult. Are people satisfied with the friends they already have as adults? Do, do they feel they need to make new friends? Should I just cut my losses and give everything up to make new friends? So what do you think of that, Doc? And, and is this something that you think is an issue? So what we have to realize is that we enter into different phases um, from obviously childhood entering into adulthood. And as we enter into different phases, we have different needs. So the younger we are, obviously, when we are born, it's mom and dad, which is kind of the phase that we have to attach ourselves to that ensures our survival. And then we enter into more kind of pre-teens and teens, and it's social connections. That's how we've survived for 200,000 years. We've connected at a very young age to our community. Right. So friends become really, really important uh, as we enter into pre-teens and teens and even young adulthood. But actually, once we enter into it's called it full, fully-fledged adulthood, it becomes uh, creating a family and not really expanding your network. So as we enter, in, and the reason why that happens, by the way, is because suddenly our, our lives become a little bit more robust. So we've established, say, yeah. hopefully a career. We've established solid friendships, which we trust, again, which ensures our survival. Mm -hmm. We have established certain routines and certain habits. And once we welcome other people into that, well, we have to start, kind of sacrifice the time that we've spent in establishing these careers and the time that we've spent establishing these friendships. So what ends up happening is that we have less capacity to include a new friendships into a circle. That's why it's actually much more difficult to break new, into new communities and make new friends uh, as you get older and older. All right. So... She asked the straightforward question, is it worth trying to start new friendships and completely uh, change the, the sort of group that you're in? Or should she keep on trying with the old friends? You just mentioned the phases, so I'm suspicious that I already know the answer to this one. Um, good, good to have a little bit of, um, of, of movement there, right, Doc? You don't want it to be the same For sure. all the way. And, and as you enter phrases, you'll need different kinds of intellectual, emotional um, and, and other kinds of stimulation. Yeah, you're quite right. So the question, should she continue trying? I would ask her in return, how deep is your need for those connections? 
Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously we want to tap into these friendships if you have that need for that nutrient. So if she goes, you know what, Khanan, I'm happy with my family. I'm happy with my current friends. Yes, a lot of them are immigrated, have immigrated, um, but I'm happy with my circle. I'm happy with my my kids' uh, moms and how I'm friendly with them and my husband's friends, and I'm happy with that. I don't really need that nutrient. And I'd say, well, don't invest. Rather invest your coins into your kids, into your current family, into your current friendships. Because I always say, obviously, quality over quantity. Uh, you don't want to have 100 people in your world that don't add value to you. You would rather have a very few people that really are robust with quality and really give you the nutrients. So I would ask her, how much of the need do you have? And if she would say, you know what, I don't really have the need, then don't invest into that. But if you do have the need, then I would definitely invest into that. And the question is, how do you do that? And I want to offer one piece of advice to people that are looking to create new networks from friendships to even dating. Human nature, we connect through common denominators. We like people that are the same as us. We like people that support the same uh, soccer teams as us. Mm -hmm. We like people that go, who send their kids to the same schools we send our kids to. We like people that have the same hobbies as us. We just feel safe with people that are very similar to us in what we do. And naturally, we attract people that like what we like. So I'll give you an analogy. Uh, many years ago, when I used to do the Discovery Park runs, it's a run that you do, you can mm -hmm. do, I think, five kilometers every Saturday. I used to do it, and I did it a long time ago when my one of my kids were, was in a pram. So I used to have my child in a pram, and I used to push the pram for five kilometers. But something interesting happens when you start. Within probably three minutes, you're suddenly surrounded by other fathers that are also pushing prams which is incredible because what nat naturally happens on a subconscious level, you're attracted to and you're attracting people that are very similar to you because there's a sense of acknowledgement and I understand where you are. I feel safe mm. with where you are because I'm in the same spot. So if you want to meet new people, if you want to venture out into new communities, I always say to people, don't force it, but rather go and do something that you enjoy in a community. So you love running, join a running club. You love tennis, join a tennis club. Mm. You love rock climbing, join a rock climbing club. Because naturally what will happen without really much effort, you will naturally meet people that are very similar to you and have the same hobbies. And that's a natural connection. And the moment there's a trust, obviously, then you can expand it and obviously meet, meet their <clears throat> network. Doc, um, I know Mash has probably got a question for you too here, but I just want to throw this in while it's on my mind. They do talk about this Dunbar's number, you know, the maximum number of people that you can have in your life in order to derive meaningful relationship from them. And again, that kind of value thing or, you know, being around someone who makes you laugh or someone who makes you think or someone who really cares about you, whatever. Uh, the Dunbar's number is, is the idea that we can only have a maximum number of these, you know, this number of people. Um, do you have any idea whether that is useful in some way to humans? Uh, do you think it's, it's something we should all aim at? By the way, the number is 150. Um, they say that that's the maximum number of um, human groups of about 150 individuals is the cognitive limit, according to um, the use of the term Dunbar's number. What do you think of that, Doc? And how, how do you know if you've got too many friends or if you've got too few? Right. So... I do, I mean, reading uh, social psychology and psychology history, 
The human brain isn't designed to interact with too many people. We're actually designed to stick to very relatively small communities. If you think about indigenous communities that are very small, there's no conflict. They're just a sense of connection and a sense of belonging. The moment suddenly that group expands beyond a certain number, mm. it'd be 150 or 200, suddenly they, it breaks into fractions. Oh, it breaks into groups and suddenly conflict arises. The human brain isn't designed to live in large groups of people. And so think about like a, a dense population like in New York, people living on top of each other. I mean, if you kind of think of uh, the, the typical New York attitude is like people just hate each other. Yeah. There's always a sense of conflict because we're not built to live in such high number uh, environments, such dense populations. That's not how we were raised. We were raised in small communities where we care for one, for one another. So how do you know when you have too many? Because suddenly when there's drama, when there's conflict, and you're spending your energy, your coins into fixing rather than building. Right. You're spending your coins into conflict management rather than actually building the community that you already have. I love it. Oh, wow. Oh, and Doc, I just want to find out as well. Um, I, I know, I know we're actually discussing one side of the spectrum about actually having too many friends or too little friends, but there's also the other side of the spectrum where how about not having friends at all or rather not wanting to have friends? Mm. Um, and I want to find out, do you think that's something that is unhealthy? Is it healthy or? Is, is, is there something wrong with that? Because nowadays, everybody calls themselves an introvert. It's like the new black. Everybody's trying to classify themselves an, as an introvert. And there's this um, phrase as well, um, JOLO. Joy, uh, not JOLO. JOMO. <laughs> Joy, JOMO. Yes, JOMO. And everybody <laughs> seems to have JOMO nowadays. And they're just all advocating for being alone and not having friends. And I want to find out if... Is that okay? Is that something, or, or is, there, is, is it something that we should be worried about? So, the, I think there are two things. Number one, there, obviously you've got to find a balance between interacting with people and also recharging on your own. There's a lot of benefits to actually being on your own too. Uh, you know, the way we forge any relationship is we spend time with that person. And the way we forge a relationship with ourselves, which is probably the most re important relationship that you'll ever have, is spend time with yourself. I find incredible amount of joy grabbing a cup of coffee on my own. I find incredible amount of joy going for a walk or for a run or going to the gym on my own, just with the earpiece and music. I'm forging a relationship with me. So if somebody says, aren't you lonely doing this? I'm like, no, this is my therapy. This is actually me spending time with the most, my most favorite person which is me. I actually, I feel sorry and quite sad for people that don't enjoy, or actually fear spending time with themselves because they're always chasing the next relationship and the next relationship and the next relationship as opposed to actually learning how to manage and love spending time with themselves. But to the other point is that we need human interaction, be it family, be it a romantic partner, be it friends. We're not insular people. We get calibrated through other people. We know from research with babies that grow up in orphanages where perhaps they don't have love and affection and acknowledgement and touch, they actually grow up incredibly traumatized. 
So how many friends you need? Well, it depends on your circle. So again, if some people love the quality over the quantity, so you can have one, you can have two, you can have five, however many, as long as you don't engage in that conflict and as long as it calibrates you. Family gives you something very different to friends and you need, I think, a mixture of both in order to get calibrated. But the good, the good and healthy quality people that calibrate you as opposed to the numbers because that actually in the long term means nothing. Mm. All right, oh, that's, wow. uh, that's useful stuff. Um, you know, Doc, it's, I think it's also really important for us all to realize that there are also these social trends. And what Mash is bringing up here is probably something, you know, he's, he's ahead of the curve on this one. I do think it's going to become cool for people to be introverted, antisocial, because we've been so desperately social on social media. And we think that this is a substitute for real relationships. And I think people now, in an attempt to be authentic, in an attempt to sound like they have some substance to them, are going to start saying that they're antisocial and that they're introverted. I think that's what Mash is, mm -hmm. is hinting yeah. at there. And I think you could see that building up as a new thing. Uh, people just they, It's like a, a pendulum, right, Doc? As soon as there's too much social going on in, in, in the world, then people feel they have to be antisocial. And so it swings back and forth and back and forth. All the time. Yeah. yeah. yeah and think about what COVID has done to us, you know, over mm. the last two and a half years. It's made us really insular. So it swung that way. And now it's going to swing the other way, become too sociable. Mm. But then it's going to swing. It's just back and forth all the time for sure. All right. Well, thank you for that, uh, Dr. Hanan Bushkin. We will have him back next Monday. Make sure that you send us an email, uh, contact at cliffcentral.com if you want to speak to him. Thanks, Doc. We'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Cool. Cliffcentral.com.